Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And tonight we are going to talk about going from middle management to the C-suite with our guest, Mario Fasche. Mario is currently an MBA student at the Schulich School of Business and has eight years of digital strategy experience working as a senior manager in agencies in Vancouver. Mario is passionate about helping people understand the value of digital marketing, guiding people into developing strong and financially sustainable marketing campaigns, and working with folks and companies with a people-first mentality. By collaborating effectively with clients, employers, and employees, and putting their needs first, Mario has utilized data to make sound decisions that have helped them grow. Some of the clients he's worked with in the past include Arcteryx, Meetup, and Salomon, and he is now pursuing a master's to get a higher level strategic understanding of business and the needs that they may face. Mario is joining us from Toronto. Mario, welcome to the Career Builders podcast. Thank you very much, Mike and Lisa. Happy to be here. We're super happy to have you as well. It's a really cool topic, and I feel like you're on the journey, really. And that's kind of one of the cool things about this. It's a neat perspective to be having on this. Can you talk a little bit more about your career path to date? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out actually working for not-for-profits and I was pretty much a generalist there and I was doing like web development and social media advertisement and every kind of research imaginable to kind of get a core differentiator in that product. And after that, I really fell in love with digital marketing. So I moved into a really big corporation in Vancouver as a specialist and I realized that maybe like that specialized is not for me. So I then moved into another agency and kind of like a broader term specialist across all areas of performance marketing and data analytics. Um, while I was there, I moved up from entry level to senior management. And then while I was in senior management, I was talking to people in the C-suite, to vice presidents, to, to directors. And, and I was realizing that there was like a gap in communication, especially around uh business terminology. So they would say stuff like dividends and equity shareholding. And I had no idea what they were <laughs> like referring to. I have like an arts degree. So for me, this was a completely different language. So I said, okay, I've always wanted to do like an MBA and, and I want to think more strategically in the future and also more importantly, understand what they're saying. So I started applying to uh, universities and then Shulik accepted me. So I moved here to Toronto. Now I'm I'm loving it and I'm in my last term and then moving towards a new path. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I'm so intrigued. I love that your curiosity kind of just took you down that path where it's like something as simple as, uh, oh, these folks are speaking another language and yet they're just down the hall from me. I wonder what I'm missing out on. And so I, it kind of just leads into this really curious conversation that, that we're going to have. Um, and just a question around like, being in the sweet suite kind of seems like a bit of a mystery to a lot of folks. What is it to you? What is it all about? So the more I kind of learn about the C-suite and upper management, um, both from meeting people in that areas and, and also just from research, it's basically the highest ranked people in the company where they're responsible for strategy and execution. Um, normally, there's always a CEO, a chief of operations, a CFO, a CTO, CMO. There's even like CHRO lately for HR and CIO information um, specialist or leader. So it's really the people that focus on the higher level strategic insights. And I really like the way that 
there was one article that described it, which was every single person kind of like aggregates all the data from the respective departments. So for example, the CFO aggregates all the financial data, the CMO aggregates all the marketing data, and then presents it to the CEO to make decisions together on the future and strategy of the company. And it's really the people that are making the decisions and right there in terms of like the front lines of how, where do we move in? And if it was, if I were to talk in like war terminology, they would be the generals instead of like the soldiers and everyone and like the corporals. I like that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, I, I like that idea of them being sort of the aggregators of data. And then obviously the word strategic is a big part of this picture too. Maybe just off the cuff, like what what comes to mind to you when you think about the idea of just business strategy as a concept? I think business strategy is the short and long-term uh, movement of the company to be able to always gain a competitive advantage. And, and I think that's pretty much what the C-suite is responsible for. And that comes with like a lot of challenge because to really understand that strategy, you need to really understand the company well. And you can't really understand just one area of the company. You need to look at, uh, look at it holistically from a perspective of, okay, well, what is HR doing that is affecting marketing? What is accounting doing that's affecting uh, finance? What is finance doing that's affecting everything? And it's a really interesting perspective of kind of like looking at like a business holistically and really setting the direction based on where you are and where you want to be. And it's funny because some, like I've basically over the summer worked with uh, like a small business consultant. And, and when you're dealing with them, you really get to talk to the leaders in like the business and it, at, they're not at the C-suite yet because obviously they're really small companies, but the idea is the same. It's basically, where do you want to take the company and how does every single aspect affect each other? And I can tell you that if you're ever like in consulting or talking to a consultant, you see that like from finance affects everything, accounting affects everything, marketing obviously affects like revenue and, and it's all interconnected to be able to give you an advantage or in some cases, unfortunately, detriment that advantage. And I think that's ultimately what business strategy is. Cool. I also find that the C-suite tend to be the people who are sort of the face of those different areas. So if something's going on in the news or the media, they tend to be the people who will be speaking to some of the challenges. Um, and I like what you said about the strategy too. And it's what I've seen as well is also like the, the internal competitive advantage, the competitive advantage within the market, but it's also taking into consideration all of the market factors that are happening on such a broad scale. I've had the opportunity to listen in on some C-suite conversations and it's like mind blowing, just the amount of information that they're processing. I couldn't agree more. And, and but what you said about the face of the company is one of the main challenges that the sweet suite happens because when you look at major scandals in, in the US or even here in Canada, they're ultimately the person responsible, right? Like the buck stops at them. And with that, like comes a lot of responsibility, decision-making and power. But unfortunately, if something goes wrong underneath you, that's who you're ultimately going to blame. So that's another aspect of the C-suite that people may not really think about, that the pressure is on for them and their teams to function at a really high level and in a, the most ethical way possible. Definitely. Cool. So we've talked about a couple of the challenges. What are some of the benefits of going towards the C-suite? Because there's lots of people who have that as sort of their career goal. 
Yeah, I think it's about the responsibility in the business and about like the leadership exponent of it. I think obviously there's tangible challenge, like benefits for like both monetary beneficial and, and whatnot. And it also creates a whole different opportunity. If you can say that you successfully lead a company, I think so many doors open for you. And the average tenure for someone in the suicide is between two to five years. So they do move around and they do lead different companies. Um, significantly and uh, like as well, it's simply about the broadening of opportunities in the market. But I think from an intangible aspect, it, it's also that feeling of, of respect and being able to really make an impact in the company and the people that you're leading. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of like the great power comes with great responsibility aspect of it, which is you hold the power and you ultimately want to make sure that you're doing the best job that you can. But it's also a lot of soft skill development and we can talk a little bit about it later when we talk about what they're looking for but it's it's really the the finessing of how you are as a leader to be able to present yourself in any situation in any company possible super cool yeah are there any other misconceptions kind of around the c-suite as people think about it i went so when reading kind of articles about this and this is actually a misconception that i had before kind of moving in is that they think of like the the expert that they're experts in the field. And so, for example, I, I always thought that like the chief financial officer was a definitely expert in finance. And while that's true, they, they more certainly are. It's not about like the specialization level. It's about they know enough about finance or they know a lot about finance and, and they're able to really get a concise idea of what's happening and then think more globally. And think about, okay, what are the risks? What are the balances? If I do this, then what happens? If I do that, what happens? And they're kind of like the chess players that are thinking three steps ahead instead of like the people that are actually doing the accountability. So I think that's the biggest misconception around it, that the people in the C-suite, like I definitely understand these topics, but I've worked with CMOs that digital marketing was something new to them. Or I've worked with CTOs that were specialized in the area of the business that they really focused on, but like they were all, and I were to say something common, they were all holistic strategic thinkers. So they were all big picture. Okay. How like, will this decision affect this? How will this decision affect that? And I think that's the main misconception that people think that they may like through specialization, you're going to get to the CC. And I think maybe in some cases, yes, but I think in the majority of the cases, that's actually not the case. Hmm. I love that you brought that up because I've had that conversation with so many clients who were looking toward their next step and moving up within a company and worrying, well, I don't have any experience in this area, but it tends to be that they delegate. When you get to that level, you're not doing the work, you're aggregating and making decisions based on work that other people have done. We, You may have hinted at this a little bit. Um, kind of what do you think are sort of the key skills that take someone from being a strong middle manager into the C-suite? Or if you were to just sort of compare and contrast like a strong middle manager with someone who is in the C-suite, what would you say? So this, this is where it gets a little interesting because I found a Stanford study where they kind of looked at different compositions of teams. And what they discovered is that like in teams and companies that were very specialized, uh, the people that were the most specialized tended to move up faster and tend to be middle managers faster and like to their benefit, really good um, managers. 
in companies that were a little bit more generalized, it was the generalists that kind of moved up and were the good middle managers. So I think that kind of really exemplifies what is like the difference between the C-suite and middle manager. A middle manager can be fantastic and be very specialized because ultimately what they do is they focus on the training, they focus on the development, they focus on the troubleshooting, and they focus on making sure that the people underneath them are working to the best of their ability. The C-suite is more than that. It's really more about how is every aspect of the business functioning and what can we do in the future? So it's much more long-term thinking. That's one of the skills, but I also want to make sure that, that we don't generalize because I also think that there are some companies where the suicide is specialized, but it's probably in the minority, but think like I've worked in smaller companies where the leaders are like in their field and they just happen to be, oh, I'm specialized in this and this is what we do. And when you're thinking me, like, like I think of tech startups, when you're really that specialized, you really want a leader that is that. So I think in the majority of the cases, those are the big differences, but it, it really like depends on the company. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And my, most of my career experience has been sort of in the small to medium sized business, sort of in the hundred to 150 people. Um, and the people who are senior leaders in that kind of an environment, they often still are fairly close to the trenches. They're often still very much specialists and actively involved in what they're doing. And I can see, I mean, Lisa, you've worked in a 45,000 person bank, uh, <laughs> which uh, I'm guessing in which the CFO did not do any like uh, double entry accounting ever, right? No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, he, he was definitely more involved than I would have expected in such a large, large company though. Um, and I think that sort of goes back to being the face and teamwork and being a leader and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, definitely can change depending on the company. Have you, have you found that there are some common personality traits that show up more in C-suite executives? Yeah. So I actually like read like different papers about this. And, and I think what's really interesting is that they all focus on the soft skills. None of them focus, no matter if you're looking at like for specific roles or for specific anything, obviously like you need a experience in, in the area that you're at, but they all focused on like the soft skills, like leadership style, whether you're a servant leader, whether you're like um, democratic leader, um, emotional uh, EQ is definitely one of the main aspects as well. Well, communication, obviously, if you're going to be the firm facing of the company, self-awareness is one. But one that I found common throughout, which I think goes back to the conversation that you had about specialists versus generalists was change management. Mm -hmm. And it was dealing with change in your field and being able to really adapt. Mm -hmm. and, and that really posed a question in my mind, which now I'll, I'll pose to you, which is, can you really be a a leader or an executor of change management if you're really specialized? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, is yes. Um, because if we're, we're talking about change, man as, change management as a skill versus adaptability as a personality trait, I see differences there. So you can learn change management through courses and coaching and all sorts of things. Um, some people are more open to change and flexible and adaptable than others. 
So I could see that somebody who is more adaptable as a personality trait would probably be more likely to be successful as an executive. Wow. I have really nothing to add to that. That was really epic. Yeah, no, I, I honestly see it though in, in a similar way in that there's a skill set around being um, able to innovate something. I see innovation as like a, as a skill set all into its own and whether or not you are sort of wired from an attitude or personality standpoint to go in an innovative way about your work, that's a bit of a different thing. So, cause I would like to think that people who are specialized in something could be innovators and create change in their specialty. Would that, does that seem logically true? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think what Lisa said about like being able to learn change management in that way is, is key. Um, I think that change management obviously has various definitions, but I think it is what Lisa just said about being able to innovate and, and adapt. And that is like a key trait and whether more generalists have it than specialists, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think when you look at the C-suite in general, it's it, they have all those soft skills as well as like the ability to make decisions and all everything that you pretty much look for in, in a leader. And, and it's also like what I was talking about before about like the business lingo, which is really interesting because then they're more alike to each other than, than to the people underneath them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's key as well, that when you look at like a CTO, a CTO is more likely to be much more like a CEO than a middle manager is to the CTO. So that's another aspect to, to consider in terms of how are you getting the, those skills in, in kind of like business aspect. And I talked to Mike before and I was like, I don't want to come out as kind of like defending MBAs and saying that MBAs are the best, but the MBAs do give you that kind of like base conversation. But I honestly think that there's, you can go in like Harvard business online and take an eight week course and learn all the fundamentals. And you're already like a step towards being there. And then it's more about like aggregating the things that are important to your company. Yeah, I totally hear you there. I definitely think there's many ways of building the skill sets that we're talking about uh, right now. An MBA is one. And, and Lisa, if you want to chime in with anything on that, because I know you have one of those cool things. But yeah, my own business expertise, not that I would say that I would be ready to ever like give MBA level courses. That would be a little bit of an imposter thing for me. But I have learned a lot about business just by a being in business and then b uh, learning and studying business from other people that have been in business and, or even write about it. It's, there's so many ways that we can arrive at this. So I'm, I'm all for this sort of um, kind of democratization of this kind of career development. Yeah. And I think I, I agree that I don't think an MBA is the only way of getting there. Um, it's a way of learning it's, you're basically gaining skills that teach you how to gather information. And like we had kind of talked about aggregate information. So the skill that's underneath that a lot of people come to naturally as well. So if somebody's going to be a C-suite executive, they might go and get an MBA because it helps them to progress those skills. But a lot of times they already have the underlying baseline curiosity, basically. So in terms of like how people actually make the jump from being in middle management or 
possibly even senior management towards the C-suite, what typically takes place in sort of the average progression? Um, I think it's simply where you focus in, in your on your skills. And I think that it goes from like the what we were talking about earlier about execution and more like having like a plan, going from the details to like a bird's eye view. And I think that's the critical shift and also the biggest hurdle that go like anytime that you go from like an execution to a management role from a management to like a senior man, that aspect of like you're working less and managing more. That's the biggest hurdle that people face. Um, another hurdle that people definitely face for sure is like what we were just talking about. How do you develop those skills? So Mike, you said that it was like from talking to people in business, from learning about people in business. But if you're really busy in your job, then how do you really make time for that? I think that's one of the things that a lot of people need to consider as well, that these are skills that like take time to develop and they take time to learn. And if you're really specialized, it might be more of a learning curve for you because you don't really understand. I can tell you that for me, like learning accounting was a big learning curve because I've never seen it before in my life. Um, while learning marketing was not. So it kind of like goes into how do you really make time for that and make time to really understand the holistic aspect of it. And I think that's where they go. And I think the most important thing is really showcasing the fact that you have leadership ability and potential. And if people follow you and if people are able to kind of like go and say, hey, yes, this is the person that I want to lead and can actually lead the company, that's ultimately what matters because then you're able to train other leaders mm -hmm. and then you're able to really foment the skills that you've developed downwards. But I think it's it's both ways and kind of, yeah, you can do the soft skills and leadership and you can focus again on communication and, and self-awareness. And those are all soft skills that you can develop over time. But I think the most critical one is, is shifting the mentality of like, this is my department to this is what's best for the company. Is there a way to do that on the job too? Like, I guess I was just thinking, so if you're, if you're in a position to be able to ask to be included in certain conversations, is there a way to put yourself forward even in like while you're still in a middle management role? Absolutely. So that's what I did at my previous agency. I, I wanted to go more into kind of like get a perspective of kind of HR and leadership management. So I would join in conversations. I would step in. And other things that I, I did was like training modules for people because I saw, okay, maybe this is something that like people can actually attest to and, and really work with senior management to develop those skills. And I think that's definitely something that you can do. Um, it would be I, I think it's also a matter of like, okay, who are you asking for help and how can you get there? So if it's like a specialist in like a full stack technology that's asking the CFO for help, how are they actually being able to communicate? So I think it's also about figuring out where you are and then being like, okay, this is my next step. And I think that's it. If you can lay out to someone, this is where I want to be help me get there, train me in this, train me in that. And then that's where you really do it. And I think the best way to do it in any company, by the way, is by suggesting you take work away from them. And you say, I'll work on this, teach me how to do it. I want to practice it. And then you do it. But then again, that, that takes up your time. So it, it always goes back to like, if you have the time and you really want to set this, this is definitely like a career forward that you can, anyone can adopt. 
And it's almost like having a passion project, which can actually help you with motivation and increase your performance and all sorts of other benefits that come with it. But I love that. Yeah, that's a great sales pitch. Take work away from the person you're asking for help from. Hmm. I love that one. Very actionable. (laughs) So once people make the jump, what are some of the best ways to be successful in the C-suite? Well, if I were to actually listen to research, it would be by jumping around. So it's really funny because it like, again, like the tenure is is very small and they actually did a study where it said that like um, when you were a generalist and you were an outsider to the sector and you were in the C-suite and you moved to another C-suite potential, you could actually earn more than if you were inside and if you were like considered a specialist. So I think that, that kind of like showcases one aspect of it that if you're in the three seat and you're able to really showcase it, like you're at the top and it's either like you go to another company and keep being at the top or, or you do something else. And I think, but once you're there, I think the success happens from being able to aggregate all the information that's sent to you and pre- presenting it like concisely. And I think that's the trick here where you're just, pulling everything together and you're making strategic decisions out of it. And the better the decision maker you can prove to be, the better in a position your company and hence you will be. And I think that's how the sweet suite really distinguishes themselves from other areas where it's about you're ultimately making the decision and then how are you following through and what kind of an effect does it have? Awesome. Makes total sense. Yeah. Your point just around how can you sort of precisely synthesize data when you think of like the idea of a, of an executive summary, right? Whether it's on the an executive summary first page of a massive report, or the executive summary of like a, even a resume being just a few lines long, that it's like how do you make the most of that very limited amount of time and space that you have to create the most action moving forward? For someone who is just starting out in their career and has aspirations, so like they're you know, they're not, they might not even be middle managers. We were talking about the people who are just walking out from school, walking into their first day, carrying lunch into their new job. What would they do starting now to put themselves on this track of eventually ending up in the C-suite? Um, I think it, first, it depends on the company. So if you're seeing that, like you're working in a company that's really specialized and that tends to be the case with like really large corporations, then it might be a matter of specialization because ultimately what you also want to be able to show is the potential for promotion and how good you are. And ultimately like how fast you move up really showcases a lot about your ability um, in whatever you can. So if you're going into like a really large corporation that's really specialized, then your best path forward might actually be specialization. And then once you're kind of like in a higher level, kind of like take a step back and look at it more holistically. If like it doesn't really matter and you can be a generalist or a specialist, um, then it's really about how, what is your plan to get the skills needed to do? And that goes for the soft and the hard skills of business. How are you actually learning them? Are you really putting yourself out there to be able to synthesize the information and and really think of business holistically and, and really show also like strategic mindset? That's another thing that people really value in job interviews in companies because if you're able to do the work and then the analysis and then say hey this are like the implications of doing this this or that that really shows that you're thinking about things at a much higher level 
And that's ultimately how you can really differentiate yourself. But the first step is figuring out what your company values. Um, and it, it's also like, I, I don't want to give like a lot of advice here for people that may not be heavy, but if you've been in the same role for like a long time in a company and you're not moving up, then it might be time to consider, okay, how can I best take advantage of this? Is this role really for me? And really consider where you are right now, where you're in the company to, to understand, okay, if I want to get to a sweet, sweet role one day, what do I need to do? And maybe being in that company is not the best. Yeah, absolutely. I'd also like to add that when you're first starting out as either a specialist or a generalist, generalist um, providing value. So being somebody who's a contributor right off the bat can help you to be more seen within the company, but then also asking a lot of questions can sort of show that strategic mindset. If to actually uh, solve a big problem takes the ability to find a problem, right? And we find problems more often than not, unless they hit us in the face somehow by questioning ourselves into it. So I, I love that point. And that's, that's kind of where I sort of really enjoy that part, taking that kind of coaching mindset, asking questions, being curious, and it, takes my sort of executive thinking when I'm looking at my own business or even my own nine to five work and just getting more of that strategic look on things. And it also helps you to be brought into different conversations because when you're asking intelligent, insightful questions, even if you're not the expert, if you have a different perspective than a lot of people at your company, you'll be brought into some of those higher level conversations, even if you're at a lower level in your career and even just to ask the questions. Mm. There's a skill. Love it. Cool. So we have some questions that we ask all of our guests uh, at the end of our show. So the first question is, what would you say is the most fun that you've had in your career so far? I, I think that fun I've, I've had in, in various ways. One of them was when I was working for that nonprofit I mentioned a long time ago. It was for the Project Tibet Society. And we, the Dalai Lama had a talk in Ottawa in 2012. And the show tickets were just not selling. So they were like, okay, we need someone who knows digital. And then I raised my hand. I had no, like back then, this is where I really <laughs> hadn't really realized the potential of digital even. And digital was something that I was like learning on the side. And I raised my hand. And I was like, I know digital. And then they gave me four days to basically sell out the show. And I literally, I started doing like Facebook advertisement and I did like re some really crazy stuff where I would go into people's profiles and kind of like note the things that they were liking. And, and this is way back when you like, when you could actually like pages, you can do it now, but like you could actually see what people like. So I started doing it and then I started noticing trends. And this was like literally an all nighter thing where I started noticing and pulling trends. And then I remember one perfectly, which is the people that were attending the show really liked Vega those like protein bars and and whatnot and i was like okay so i started targeting people that liked vega the show sold out in three days and that for me was like mind-blowing because and, and it was all by the way we, we tracked it most of it was through digital and, and i think it it was a matter of it really showcased the potential of like that is something that digital can do you can actually do personalized marketing and contextual based marketing that do it and that's the moment where I was like, this is where I want to work. Like, it, first of all, all the data that's there is so incredible. And I, I really want to 
do something there. And I was doing something new. And I think that's where I really like being in a career. Then eventually when I was at uh, my agency, we were figuring out Twitter ads and we were figuring out like program and we were figuring out all these different things. And that's where I have the most fun when we're figuring things out and trial and error and some things work, some things don't, but it doesn't matter because we're learning and we're just figuring something like a completely new technology out. And yeah, though, I would say those are the, the most fun I've pretty much had in my career. Amazing. The other thing that a lot of people worry about is, is taking risks in their career. So what would you say is the biggest risk that you've taken and how did it turn out? I mean, I think the biggest risk I ever took was coming to an MBA because in an, like doing like the MBA, if you think about it, it's pretty much two years of you not working full time. Uh, like I'm not really taking into account the, the summer where you work. Um, but it's pretty much, yeah, it's 16 months of you not really being in like working. And I, I would say that the reasons that I did it were like I mentioned before to really get a holistic view. And, and in that way, it's been a success. I think another thing that we haven't really mentioned about master's programs in general, but I think especially the MBAs is that they do develop the soft skills. So when you're talking about communication, one things they do is really showcase how do you best communicate to people in the sweet suite and how do you really practice those skills and it's a skill and it's also about actually developing a lot of like your leadership styles learning about it learning about what le other leaders are doing and I think in that way I got exactly what I wanted but I can tell you that I didn't sleep a lot of nights simply thinking like I'm not going to be in the workforce for two years like it's a huge risk and I think that's something that a lot of people especially after they've been on the field for me like like five years or something like that like they're like wait what can we actually do and ultimately it's about where you want to be in the long term and I think that's the the ultimate thing that I want and I can also say that um, I can't share exactly what I'm, I'm going to be doing but it's open more opportunities and it's opportunities that I, I hadn't even been uh, privy to. Uh, and it's, e even if it's just literally like networking, it's it's an amazing risk that I would take again. Mm -hmm. um, although I have to, another thing about MBAs, and least I can say that they're expensive. So that's another thing you need to consider. So yeah, it's been, it, it's been a good risk. Very cool. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity costs involved for sure when you go and you do, that kind of school. And Lisa, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong on this. You did your, did you do your MBA, MBA part-time or was it a complete? No. Okay. No, it was a complete, I, I was working part-time while I was doing the MBA full-time and I, I could only it. do that for a few months because that was just way too nuts. But um, yeah. <laughs> food for thought for our dear listeners out there that may be considering an MBA. So another food for thought would be, um, when people tell you that the MBA is like a social like degree and it's this and it's that. And I, someone told me that it wasn't a lot of work and they're lying. <laughs> so it's a lot of work, especially if you don't have a business background. And I think that has to do with the fact that one, you're competing against people that have business backgrounds and it's graded on a curve. So you can fail if you actually don't do the work, but it's way more work that you can imagine. And I think that's another skill that, the MBA really forces you to hone in, which is your time management and project management skills. Because if you don't have those two, you're going to go crazy. I can tell you that there were some people that in the first semester just were trying to figure things out. And thankfully, like I had a little bit more experience with project and time management, but it was still like a learning curve. 
but figuring out that time for yourself while juggling like a million things is it's difficult and working part-time like lisa said i can't even imagine that because i it, it just it, i've tried doing like i think it was 10 hours in one term and i was i couldn't do it it's just it's too much to be able to handle all of it and ultimately if you can treat it as a social degree but then it's also about reputation there's, there's a lot of things going on and you really need to consider okay i if i'm going to do this i'm going to go all in and do well in love that i appreciate that no for sure lot of little extras here coming down the pipe. <laughs> what would you say Mario is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Um, I think the best piece of career advice was something that is sounds very cliche, but it was simply like, try things that you think are going to make you happy. And it, that all goes back to the idea that if you're happy with the work you're doing, it won't feel like work. And it ultimately that also comes with time because you figure out what makes you happy when you're working in like a lot of different things and a lot of different aspects and you learn about what you like and what you don't like. So I can tell you now for a fact that I probably like don't really want to ever go as specialist as I was at the big company. So now I know that about me, but there are certain things that I really have learned over the years that, for example, like if I work at a nonprofit, I would feel more fulfilled. If I'm working and training people, I would feel more fulfilled. And it's about fulfillment. It's about happiness. And it's about just trying those things. And there is no simple answer, but having tried that and trying different things have really helped me. And okay, this is where I'm now. And this is where I want to be in the future. And it helps you in, in life in general as well, because you discover a lot about yourself. So I think as cliche as it sounds, that's probably the, the one that I have, which is why not just try and do something that makes you happy? Love it. Yeah. Try it out. Might be an error. Might not be an error. We had, we had a show called Trial and Error. And so you made me flash back to that. So thank you for sharing that. Where can people find out more about you, Mario, and the work that you're doing? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm by far the most active. Uh, I am currently actually, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing in the last term of my MBA is like a series, which is going to try and understand consumer behavior and how it's changed perceptions of digital marketing. So one of the things that we're really trying to, to figure out is, and, and I'm writing articles that are going to eventually lead up to that is how do people see the effectiveness of digital marketing? And it's an area of study right now that a lot of people are intrigued about. I'm definitely intrigued about it. And, and I think even wherever I go in, in terms of like job wise, I'll always be investigating it because it, it is something that really interests me. So yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. It's Mario Fasce, F-A-S-C-E. And it's that that's kind of like where I'm I'm the most active. And and yeah, now the future is, is like open. Uh, and now I'm kind of just looking at different things in terms of like opportunities and, and different areas of, well, where can I really showcase everything that I've learned and make the most impact? Cool. Yeah. I can see you using your own advice pretty, uh, pretty wisely there and applying it to this new stage of your life. Very cool. Go ahead. Uh, is there anything you want to add actually, Lisa? I was just going to say, thanks so much for your insights on all this and for the great discussion. It's been very thought provoking. No, thank you for having me. And it's been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Glad we had you for the career builders podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Blaine. Our guest, Mario Fasche, check him out and uh, go try out things that might make you happy. I love that. 
take some work off of other people's hands and grow your career. We hope you're well. We hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. Are you looking to connect with awesome people on LinkedIn and build the kind of professional network that gets you hired faster? Go to coachwazo.com slash C-E-L-I to get access to my free five-day e-course called Connecting Effortlessly on LinkedIn. You'll be on your way to creating the relationships that build your career. Once again, that's C-O-A-C-H-O-I-S-E-A-U dot com slash C-E-L-I.